You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me here today, Jonathan Fitzgerald of Equinox Strategy Partners is, well, it's an illustrious, illustrious career. You started out more than 20 years ago as a director of communications for a law firm. Three years later, I believe you became a director of marketing. Another three years ago, you kept on advancing through larger and larger law firms. You became a CMO. And then for some reason in 2015, you decided to start your own thing. So moving from a cushy job at a very sizable law firm, hanging on your own shingle why did you decide and i'm always curious about business owners why do they decide to move from a cushy career to working for what i consider myself to be one of the worst bosses ever because now you work for yourself yeah it's usually madness so why did you decide to make this career change so um it's interesting that you ask because at the point that i made it before i get to why exactly i did it you have to understand that at the firm, I had lots of resources available to me. The firm had a stellar reputation. Um, I was guilty by association of that reputation, right? Everyone, whatever people thought of the firm and all the great work that it did, I benefited from that. So, Sasha, I can't tell you the number of close friends and confidants that I had who told me I was absolutely crazy for doing it. They said, Jonathan, you're leaving um, this amazing position that you've worked so hard to obtain for literally the hope that someone will hire you. <laughs> and um, to be honest with you, and by the way, they were absolutely right. Most people would look at that situation and say, there's no way in hell I'm taking the risk. No way. This is the creme de la creme. I'm riding this baby out. Unfortunately, what I found, Sasha, was as the head of business development for a law firm, everything the firm touches has some connected dot to the marketing department. New clients, marketing. Um, client service, marketing. The way the firm's bills went out every single month had a marketing element. Literally everything pointed back to marketing. And what I ultimately found was I was spending more time on keeping the marketing trains running than on doing what I do best, and that's coaching and training lawyers on how to develop their practices. I wasn't interested in the day-to-day -day keeping the trains running on time. It has to be done, but I had a skill set that I think is much more unique than that, and I didn't want to spend my time um, on operations. I wanted to spend my time motivating lawyers and finding a way, an individual, unique way for each of them to springboard their practice. And that's not in cleaning up water spills and fixing, um, fixing hangnails. And so I knew that, hey, if I was going to continue in legal marketing, I had to sow my entrepreneurial roots and go out on my own and see once and for all, all this advice that I had been giving lawyers for 20 years, did it actually work? 
because there was there was no time until I no longer had a law firm to fall back on before you realize your advice either works or it does not. And now's the time. And by the way, I had a mortgage at the time. I had a car payment at the time. I had all kinds of obligations. I did not have a choice when I launched Equinox, but for it to work, period. It had to work. You burned all the ships. I burned all the ships. That's exactly right. You are a thousand percent right. And it's interesting that you mentioned that. I had a colleague in legal marketing one time. I had been out on my own for about three months, uh, three years. She came to me and she said, can we have coffee? Sure. She goes, Jonathan, um, I'm thinking of doing what you did. I want to leave my law firm and start my own consulting practice. What do you think about that? And I looked at her straight in the, in the eyes and I said, understand that you trade one set of challenges for another. If you're up for that second set of challenges, then you should do it. Sasha, she looked at me and she said, Jonathan, how hard could it be? You've been successful at it. <laughs> so I looked at her in that moment and I said, go back to the firm this afternoon and give notice. If it's that easy, do it. Just do it. It's not easy, but not easy. if you prepare yourself, and I essentially had spent an entire career, Sasha, preparing for that moment where the rubber had to meet the pavement. It was either going to work or it wasn't. And I'm happy to report that I'm currently in my 10th year with Equinox Strategy Partners, and it's been more successful than I could have even imagined 10 years ago. Congratulations. It, it's very interesting. I know that most of the audience of this podcast are people who have been running their own law firms for quite some time. But it is worth mentioning that the switch from having a job to running your own business, it is a completely different set of challenges, as you mentioned, completely different. You stop being a lawyer, you start being a business owner, and it is night and day. Most people have the hardest time transitioning from practicing law to practicing business. And categorically, lawyers don't rate very high when it comes to the business acumen. I'm not saying that to be a hater. I'm just That's saying from a practice perspective, lawyers are great at practicing law. They're not great at running a business. So to your point, it's a very different skill set. And some people are up for it and they have it and other people don't. They wish they did. They hope they do. But it's not their highest and best use. So glad that you brought up the words business acumen. The reason for that is in the context that most lawyers do not have a high degree of business acumen that I once had to record a short video explaining what business acumen was because there were so many people who would be like, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> it's not even on their radar, Sasha. And, and I don't say that as a slam. It's, it's not a it's critique not. of lawyers. Yeah. It's just not part of their skill set, naturally. <laughs> It can be, but it's not for everybody. For sure. For most professionals, it applies equally. The only difference between attorneys and most other professional categories is that attorneys, I think, believe have the highest concentration of self-employed folks. Something like two-thirds of 1.35 million lawyers in this country are self-employed. 
you have to have a certain degree of business acumen to succeed as a business owner. And again, it's a completely different game from actually being a lawyer at a law firm. So you make this transition, which kudos to you. I think, I think it's great. If you have that entrepreneurial inkling within you, I advise everyone to become their own boss while putting a huge, huge warning onto this idea. The set of challenges that you will be faced will be completely different. And I have been a business owner operator all of my adult life since I was 22 years old. So now for 23, 24 years I'm going. And the number of sleepless nights I've had it's just absolutely unbelievable. The stress level is absolutely unbelievable because I think most people, when they think about business ownership or entrepreneurship, owning your own law firm, they think about this organization where everyone reports to you and everybody is responsible to you and you're going to have the freedom of time, the freedom of money. And usually nothing is further from the truth for a number of years, a number of sleepless nights. So when you made this transition and now you had to go out there and get your own business, what were the first few things that you have done to make sure that Equinox becomes an atypical success? I think feathering one's nest comes down to leveraging relationships that you've spent a career building. We all network. We all go to lunch and dinner and drinks with a bunch of different business related folks. And until you have to rely on those folks to keep the lights on, you don't really appreciate the depth of the relationship. And some of those relationships you will very quickly find are not that deep. So that's like the litmus test. It's one thing to say, hey, Sasha, you want to grab drinks tonight? And we go out and we have a great time. It's a whole nother dynamic where I say, Sasha, I've identified a need that your law firm has. Let me fulfill that and pay my rate. <laughs> All of a sudden you go from preaching to meddling like that. And so one of the things that I did, I knew leading up to my launch point that on this day I was going to quit and I was going to start Equinox. Okay. I knew that about a year Um to my launch point, I, I had prepared. In that time, towards the end of that year of preparation, I started to reach out to people in my network and started to have conversations like, do you have this need? What are you doing about this issue that we're all dealing with? What are you doing about that issue? And I kind of tested the waters ahead of time. I, I never made a formal, hey, will you hire me? But I started to test the waters to see where the need was and which professionals in my audience were a captive audience. And, and, and I could very quickly tell there could be a possibility with this firm. There could be a possibility with that firm. I thought there would be one with that one, but there definitely isn't right now. And so I would just make a list. And, and I've always been a master networker because I'm a huge believer that your network is your currency. That's a, you got your reputation and you got people that you know, and that's all you got, right? Everything else is fungible. So I started to take note as to who I think could utilize my services once I launched. And the second I launched, 
I would call up those individuals or I would send them an email and I would say, hey, um, I'm not sure if you saw the news or not, but I think it's time for us to have a very, very direct conversation. And I didn't beat around the bush. I didn't have the time or the energy or the luxury of beating around the bush. So I went to those individuals that I had kind of pre-vetted and I said, listen, I want to work with you. Here's where I think I can add value. Here's where I think there is a need. Let's figure out a way. And I'm happy to say from day one of launching Equinox, I was almost 100% at capacity. Almost. Um, now, that's very rare for entrepreneurs, and I understand that. But when we talk about preparation, I had prepared as best as I knew how. And um, from that time on, I've only added additional professionals to the platform in order to grow and in order to expand services. Otherwise, most of my clients today were clients 10 years ago when I launched, if you can believe it. I believe it. And law firms are not in the business of keeping people that don't add value on the payroll. They're the first ones, particularly in a down economic cycle, to say, hey, Jonathan, we'd love to keep you, but you're a consultant. You know, circle back with us in 18 months or whatever. That didn't happen. Hmm. So you practiced and honed your skills over 13 years. You prepared for this seismic shift for one year prior to it. And once you pulled the trigger, you had the guts to pick up the phone and actually call on people and make them this bold offer, which I think most people would feel, especially attorneys, a lot of attorneys are so incredibly introverted. They would have a very hard time executing on that. Would you agree? There's no question. And I think one of the one of the reasons attorneys are in the position they are from a business perspective is because categorically they are so risk adverse. They're taught to, to find what will go wrong as opposed yeah. to, well, where's the silver lining? And so, you know, like I said, I'd burn the I'd burn the ships. I mm -hmm. had to be direct. And one thing that I that I coach other attorneys on all the time is reframing how you perceive yourself. Although all of us to some extent are in a sales position, I don't think I'm a salesman. I look for other professionals and other firms in the market that have a need, and I try to align my experience behind that need. Sasha, that doesn't make me a salesperson, that makes me a problem solver. And if attorneys can rework how they perceive themselves, being direct doesn't mean you're a salesperson. Being direct means you understand your audience and you have something that will help them be even more successful. That's the only way I can be direct. I'm not trying to push something on them that they don't need. I'm trying to offer them resources that will make them 20% more money this year than they made last year. And if they want that, I'm the perfect guy for them. If they don't, I'll follow up in six months. <laughs> agree with that strategy wholeheartedly. In fact, I always think about sales as helping. And whenever somebody says, well, I hate sales. I'm like, well, think about it this way. If you're at a party and someone approaches you and says, I'm a doctor. I noticed something about you. You should have that checked out. Is that a sales pitch or are they trying to save your life? 
Amen. You could look you could look at it both ways. Yep. But the reality is they're they're just simply there to help. Yeah, and unfortunately, because of the natural attorney hardwiring, they're thought to look at it from the negative perspective. I want to add value. I want to be that guy that approaches the person and says, hey, I noticed you got a little bit of a limp. I can help you with that. Is that of interest to you? And they can decide. If they're like, hey, I'm perfectly fine with the limp. Yeah, it hurts a little bit, but no biggie. Fine, right? There's lots of fish out there. On the other hand, um, I know if I put myself in that position and someone approached me and said, hey, Jonathan, um, I know you wear contacts. You know, I know this person that can help with Lasix and you'll never have to deal with those crappy contacts again. Would you be interested in introduction? 10 times out of 10, I'm going to be like, yeah, let's have an introduction. I may not like the guy or gal, but I'm open-minded enough to have a conversation. Let's go. Yeah. Another way to look at it. I'm sure you have met people like that. And just about everyone who I've met who built a 50 plus million dollar law firm, they were not averse to salesmanship. They were not averse to marketing. They were great marketers and terrific salespeople. Terrific salespeople. Yeah, the the other thing I noticed specifically about lawyers, Sasha, is um, I've coached lawyers who are responsible for 30, 40, 50, 60 million dollars a year of work to their firm. Okay, we're talking about major rainmakers. Those aren't my only clients. I also coach those that have five or six or seven hundred thousand, but they want to be the 10 million dollar guy or gal. There's one common thread amongst all rainmakers that I've ever met. Most of them have about 15 specific professionals in the business community who are always thinking of them. They could be current clients. They could be law school buddies. um, They could be referral sources, maybe a complimentary service provider, but there's no more than about 15. So when lawyers think, well, I don't have the time to go to the masses when I don't have time to talk to 500 people. I don't have time to to send emails to a thousand. It doesn't take 500 people to make you successful. I'm suggesting it takes no more than 15, but you gotta be laser focused with those 15. And if you can build that over the course of a number of years, you'll have more work than you know what to do with. That's a brilliant insight. It reminds me of another gentleman who I had on this podcast, Louis Scott. He built a PI law firm in Atlanta that now does over $50 million in revenue. I asked him, how did you start? And he told me about his career. And he said, well, he worked for another firm. He thought he was going to make the partner. Things did not work out. So when he started his own PI firm, he said, the first thing that I did, started calling another lawyer who I knew, telling them that I now do this on my own. It would be great for him to be of service to some of their clients. He said, I drummed up six figures in new business within something like six to eight weeks. He burned his ships. He had to do it. Here's here's the other thing that's crazy. If we're talking about sales from a statistic point of view, okay, we're talking about the averages here. Most sales happen. Most engagements happen. Most of your prospects will say you're hired 
between 12 and 15 interactions with the service provider, okay? So for purposes of our conversation, let's say, Sasha, that you and I have an excellent lunch. I've identified a need that you have that I can fulfill. I walk away from that lunch thinking, oh my God, this was amazing. It's going to be a few minutes before Sasha gets back to me and tells me that I'm hired, right? I killed it. In those situations where everything goes great, only 50% of lawyers will ever follow up with the Sashas of the world. 50% statistically, okay? The 50% that will follow up, they'll only follow up a total of two times. Statistically, for you to hear you're hired, it takes between 12 and 15 interactions with someone. Only 50% of all lawyers ever make it past interaction two. They're not even close to 12 to 15. They give up way too, way too easily, way too soon. And then they wonder, why doesn't relationship building work? Why doesn't it lead to new business? Why doesn't it keep, why doesn't it keep all my people busy? Bro, you're not even close. You're not even in the ballpark. Reminds me of a brilliant book written and published by P.T. Barnum in 1876, so roughly 150 years ago. He talked about business in that book, and one of the excerpts, I don't remember it verbatim, but close enough, he said that fool is the man who advertises once and believes that that will produce results. That's it. It's 1876. All about no, and, and that's why that's why when it comes to relationship building, you have to find a variety of ways to stay in contact with someone. If you're one of those professional Sasha that I've identified for 2024 that that I either want to get business from or get a referral from, I have to have 6 to 8 interactions with you over the course of a year for 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 me to be top of mind with you so that if and when you have a need, I'm one of the first people that you think of. Well, I can invite you to drinks on one interaction. I might be able to send you some kind of a legislative update or client alert for a second interaction. Maybe I comment on something that you post on LinkedIn. That's a third interaction. Maybe my firm is hosting some kind of an event and I invite you to that. That's a fourth interaction. Maybe I participate on a webinar and that's a fifth interaction, right? You have to vary up the interactions a little bit. I can't always say, hey, Sasha, let's grab drinks. And, you know, 45 days go by and I say, hey, Sasha, let's grab drinks. You're going to start to think I want to date you if I don't vary it up, right? That's the reality. I love it. We have to get creative so the other person doesn't think that we're selling to them. And, and sometimes, you know, it takes a little noodling to understand what exactly can those interactions be, but you got to have them statistically if it's going to work out for you. And it either works or it doesn't. When it doesn't work for lawyers, I can almost 100% of the time pinpoint why. And it's usually because there's a lack of activity and no activity leads to no engagement. If you don't have the, the level of engagement that you want today, 100% of the time, you got to increase your activity level. And then all of a sudden, it cures itself. It's crazy. I think there is another reason. And I think that is when people go networking, any type of networking, 
there is a built-in expectations. And relationships are just not like that. When you go out on a date, if you expect that other person to give me put out that very same night, the probability of striking out is exceptionally high. Well, it depends on the person. <laughs> depends on the person, certainly. I'm just kidding. Serious <laughs> material. We're talking Serious about the material. average here. Yeah. The average here, you're probably going to strike out if you come to that first date with that expectation. I yeah. think when it comes to building relationships in business, they're not very much alike or they're not unlike those relationships that we build in personal lives. I think that to really foster a deep and meaningful relationship, it takes time. It really does take time. Relationship building is not linear. And I think that's one reason why people get very discouraged in the process. For some reason, we have this perception that if I go to the lunch, I should come back with the new matter. If I speak at the conference, I should come back with a tidal wave of new matters, right? If I write the article, then people should be blowing up my inbox with new opportunities. As you said, that's not how it works. Sometimes it takes 18, 24, 36 months of developing the relationship before that other person is willing to trust you. And it really comes down to trust. Need and trust. If I have a need, am I going to trust you to solve my problem? I either also, am or I'm not. There's also a natural cycle time between the time that they hired someone else to solve a similar problem for them or between the time that they started referring out business to someone else like you and until the time that they decide they no longer want to send their business that way. And that cycle can be of varying length and you never know exactly how long it is. So I think that you should go in without expectations and just know that to build a relationship, a fruitful relationship can be anywhere from one date to infinity. You just never know. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I talk about with my clients, I talk about suspects versus prospects all mm -hmm. the time. It's very easy for lawyers to overvalue their network. They think that everybody loves them. Everybody will hire them. They just need to get in the room with these professionals and it will be game over, right? They'll have more work than they, they know what to do with. And oftentimes what I find is because lawyers aren't direct with what they want, they get a lot of indirectness or a lot of beating around the bush from people who they meet. As a result, they'll meet someone and they'll say, oh my God, this is the perfect person. I know I'm going to get work out of them. And the attorney has essentially set themselves up for failure. You have to vet the people that you spend time with. And the more practice you put into it, the quicker you're going to get at meeting someone new and determining, hey, is this someone that will either be in a position to hire me or refer me work? Or is this, and that's a true prospect, or is this person going to do nothing but waste my time and they're a suspect? And again, the more you practice, the more you interact with people, the quicker you can determine whether or not someone is going to legitimately help you build your practice. Very interesting. Let's pull this all together by putting it into a, like a practical example. Let's suppose that you and I, are in the state of Arizona where we are now allowed to purchase a law firm. 
despite the fact that we're not lawyers. And I believe that change is slowly coming all across 50 states. Let's go there. I agree with you. It's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Colorado is on the verge of making that change. Might happen in 2024, this year or next year. And that they will all start falling like dominoes. And when that happens, you better have a sizable law firm that can actually put up a competitive fight against private equity that's going to roll into your industry, start buying up and rolling together those law firms and creating a serious challenge for really small players. So let's imagine that today we're lending in the state of Arizona and we find a $5 million law firm that we decide to buy. For the sake of this example, let's say they do estate planning and there are certain natural type of referral partners for them. They do $5 million. We talk to the owner. He says, well, I have eight lawyers. On average, they do about $480,000 a year or so. Some perform better, some perform worse. I am not willing to sell 100% of it. I'd like to stay on board. I'm going to keep 20%, but you have to show me a path to go from $5 million in revenue to $10 million in revenue. What are the three things that you have these lawyers do over the next year, two or three to get to that $10 million threshold? Yeah, so number one, um, within the area of estate planning, they have to be memorable for something specific, right? Are you doing, um, are you doing, let me rephrase this. Estate planning is a big umbrella, right? It's a big practice. There's a number of things that you could do. Um, from a marketing and relationship perspective, sometimes it's not enough just to be known as an estate planning attorney. There's a subset of estate planning that you could be the go-to person for so that whenever someone is thinking about that type of matter, you immediately get a call because everyone is pointing to you. So recommendation number one to take it from five to 10 million is everyone within the law firm has to have a niche focus for marketing purposes, okay? Solid. It's absolutely critical. Number two, once they have the niche focus, then you've got to participate in regular thought leadership to educate your market on the fact that you have that expertise. And that thought leadership should evolve around your personal preferences. If you like to speak, get on the speaking circuit. If you like to write, start authoring articles. Um, if you like to network, identify some perfect networking groups where you can get some referrals from other professionals that also deal with the type of client that you want to go after. Sitting in your office with that expertise, hoping and praying that the phone is going to ring, you're setting yourself up for disaster. So step number two, what kind of thought leadership are you participating in at least quarterly to remind your prospective clients and referral sources that you have this special niche or expertise. And then number three, you've got to find those 15 people that are ride or die for you. And, and by the way, you're not going to find them in a matter of six months. It may take you 10 years to find a total of 15, but you've got to find those other professionals in the business community that are in a position to hire or refer you. If you can work on each of those three areas at the same time, Sasha, there's a little piece of real estate in the middle called growth. You and I probably know tons of professionals that are experts at what they do, but they don't do anything to educate the market on the fact that they have that expertise. 
and they're just flabbergasted that their phone isn't ringing off the hook. They have no visibility. Their circles don't line up for that growth area. You and I probably also do a decent amount of networking where we see some of the same professionals at every single meeting, at every single conference. They're wonderful human beings, but they're so unmemorable. I couldn't tell you when I would call them or when I would refer them. They're great human beings, but I don't know what they do or they're too generic in the way that they describe themselves. They're not working in all those three areas. And as a result, they're not getting growth. So identifying a niche for marketing purposes, educating your market through thought leadership, and then leveraging specific relationships to find your board of directors, the 15. And if you can do all of those three in parallel, then each of those attorneys at your firm on average, at least in my experience, will have about a 20% growth year over year. Excellent. But here's the big question that this law firm owner is going to ask you. How do you make sure that they stay consistent? Because in theory, it's all going to sound great to them, but when it will come to execution, they'll get busy working cases or doing something else and they'll forget to do this. How do you make sure that they actually execute on this every single week? So there are probably two ways of doing that. You may have to do both of them. Number one, I always like to identify what motivates my client. Is it money? Is it visibility? Is it credentials? Is it pedigree? What is the motivating factor that wakes them up in the morning and has them excited about the day ahead of them? Number two, you got to find someone to hold you accountable to the goals that you've set. Yes. I'm not interested in policing someone's behavior. I'm interested in finding a way to be more of a resource so they actually accomplish what they set out to, to accomplish. If I meet with a client in January and I say, okay, what are the two or three things that you want to accomplish this year? At some point, they determined these three things are a priority to me. If they get busy with life or hobby or family or whatever and start to forget those three things, it's my responsibility to remind them at what point in January they thought these were three good ideas and what motivates them to get up to accomplish it. And just like anyone else, you go to the gym, you need a fitness coach or a trainer to hold you accountable. Sometimes your colleagues can, can hold you accountable. Sometimes your spouse can hold you accountable. Sometimes you hire a consultant that can keep you honest, but you got to find something that, that keeps you motivated and accountable for what you hope to accomplish. Otherwise, the end of December rolls around and we look back and we're like, oh, wow, I accomplished nothing. I'm exhausted. Planning doesn't work. Amen to that. I don't believe that a spouse is a good accountability body. I don't think that a colleague is a good accountability body. I think you have to have someone that you report to, a manager of sorts, or a coach or consultant who you hire and actually spend good money on to keep you accountable. Because I think a lot of lawyers, even when they work at somebody else's law firm, they feel like they're running their own show. They eat what they kill. And because of that, they're not truly accountable to anyone else. Sa same, same illness afflicts business owners, not accountable to anyone. That's why most overwhelming majority of small businesses forever stay very, very small. Yeah. No accountability. Well, I've got a funny story for you along those lines. Mm. By the way, 
I agree with you 95%. All right. There's 5% that I will share with you that's different. I have a client who's in monthly coaching with me. Okay. He's a bankruptcy restructuring turnaround attorney at a very prestigious major firm, tons of pressure to perform. Okay. Um, he is also the breadwinner for his family. He has a wife and six children. Okay. During at the end of our first coaching call, when I first met him, he said to me, Jonathan, this is going to sound like a weird request, but would you mind if my wife joined our coaching calls moving forward? And it was a weird request. I'd never had anything like that before. And I said, Joseph, I guess we can do that. He goes, she is my biggest fan. And she's also the one that will harp on me the most if I don't end up doing what I've agreed to do. Joseph's wife joins us on every single monthly call, Sasha. And this woman is, she is a force to deal with. She comes prepared. I mean, I should be coaching her. She comes prepared with an agenda to every meeting. She knows exactly what her husband has done, what he hasn't done. She reminds him lovingly during the course of the month. Hey, don't forget. We talked about this with Jonathan. We talked about that. And it works for him. Yeah. The other, the only other way that I've seen accountability from a, from a spouse work is if the person I'm coaching promises to buy their spouse something very expensive if the attorney doesn't keep their commitment. And the attorney is so challenged by not wanting to have to spend the money on whatever that gift was. Maybe it was a really expensive pair of shoes. Maybe it was a trip. Maybe it was a piece of jewelry. That attorney does not want to spend a dime on that. And even if it's the night before our coaching session, they will do whatever it takes to make sure that they're, they're keeping their commitments. Short of those two examples, you're absolutely right. You need, you need a coach to help you out. I love the first example. It makes total sense. <laughs> he, he, he bought them six kids. That's a lot of responsibility. A lot, yeah. So, so she's in a good position to make sure that he delivers financially so everyone is provided for. It's a lot That's of it. responsibility. The second one, neg that negative reinforcement. I did that with a friend of mine right before the 2012 elections. We were accountability buddies. And I don't remember which we were voting at the time. Not that it matters. But the point was that if you don't do what you promised you said you would do, you're sending DNC a thousand dollar check. Well, if you don't do what you promised to do, you're sending RNC a thousand dollar check. I love it. Neither neither one of us sent checks that year. We because we were like, yeah. So, but again, it goes back to finding the motivation. If you really don't want to buy that piece of jewelry, or you don't want to sign that sign over that check, if that's what motivates you, Sasha, as rudimentary as it sounds, let's use it to our advantage. Everyone will be better for it. Is it my favorite point of accountability? No, but I'm into what works. I need things to be practical because people are busy and I don't want to further complicate their life with some grandioso accountability structure that takes 40 hours to come up with and explain. Yeah, I think anyway. you're probably talking about 10% of the market because I think for the majority, good enough is good enough. Yeah. Level of ambition is fairly here, not up here. I think that's yeah. overwhelming majority is good enough. And that's why we're seeing lawyers who go through law school. It's a lot of work. 
big student loans. Average income nationally in 2022 was something like 134,000. That's for an I mean, attorney at a firm. If you're talking about a, attorneys median in the category, category me, yeah, I think it's like $5,000, Sasha, a year. It's, it's much lower than you would believe. It's all of these lawyers at the Amlaw 50 top law firms that are up. pulling down major seven figures that are skewing that average number up. Yeah. It's not a lot of money. I have met a few listeners of this podcast and they're all very ambitious people to varying degrees, but they're all very ambitious people. Either they're executing on their ambition or they're talking about executing on their ambition or they're just talking about their ambition, but they're ambitious people. So I think it's for that 10%. Yeah, and ultimately that's probably the ideal client, right? I don't want to babysit anybody. I don't want I don't want to make anyone feel bad for underperformance. I don't want to sit there and be their mom and and nag them all the time. I want to identify those other professionals that absolutely want to kill it. And we look for creative solutions to kill it, not for excuses for lack of performance. Amen. Jonathan, if someone who listened to this or watched this, they want to connect with you, how would they find you? Yeah, my website, equinoxstrategy.com is probably the easiest way. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Fitzgerald. Um, and um, you can Google me and find the website and find LinkedIn and everything else. Um, but yeah, that'd be great to connect. What are good two or three questions that they should ask you out of the gate? Because I think a lot of people, they don't really know where to start when it comes to getting a coach, consultant, especially if, it, if they've never hired one. Yeah. So um, number one, relationship building is not a spectator sport. Attorneys can't delegate their relationship building to me or anybody else and have it be successful. So kind of characteristic number one is they've got to be willing to roll up their sleeves and do part of the work that it's going to take to build their practice. Okay. Number two, they have to realize that it is a financial investment in them as a professional. Um, the price tag may sting a little bit, but if it stings, that means you'll make it a priority. I work out at a gym where a personal um, training session is $280 per session. Okay. Very expensive. Guess how many of those sessions I miss? Zero. Now I bitch and moan all the time that they're too expensive, but guess what? I continue to do it because I see the value. So number one, people have to be collaborative and there's a willingness. Number two, they've got to be willing to invest in themselves. And number three, they have to have a growth mindset. They're not wanting to grow because someone else has told them that they need to do it. They're not wanting to grow because they've got a firm pressure, um, pressuring them to do it. Otherwise they're out in six months. They have to have that growth mindset and understand it's not gonna happen tomorrow. It's gonna happen over a number of years when the proper foundation has been set. And I think if I can find you know, my target audience shares those three characteristics. If they have those three, then there's definitely an opportunity um, 
to have a further conversation. Those are great self-qualifying criteria. Jonathan, thank you so much. This was a great podcast, amazing wealth of information. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.